you, Lord Jesus. Those of you that know very much about the early church history, they actually used to call them crossbacks because some of the early Christians would take crosses and carry them on their backs as a symbol of what was what they were representing. We certainly don't have to do that in the sense of a natural wooden cross, but we do believe the Lord wants us to take up our cross, don't we? As a matter of fact, he mentioned yours more than he mentioned his. So it must be pretty important to him. Let's uh, read today, if you would, St. John 4, 23. <clears throat> I want to speak to you today about fellowship by kenosis. Fellowship by kenosis. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such. Now I hope you can understand that by y'all singing this morning and worshiping in the, in the uh, opening part of the service and the choir, the songs, I thought it was so beautiful, the special songs, that you are an answer to a crave in the Father's heart. So it's a deep and the eternal to want people to love him and praise him and sing. And after a while, a few hours on in the evening, people will start getting all involved and all caught up in the Super Bowl. And I saw a thing yesterday on the news kind of uh, directing people on how to pray for their team so it would win. Wouldn't you hate to think that's what you used God for? But there will be people that will bet and they will wager and they will scream and holler and cry and depending on how the Super Bowl goes and how that is. And, and yet if they would see and hear you all the way you were doing a while ago worshiping and praising the Lord, they would call you a bunch of fanatics. We don't deny that. We are. But we're fans. We're fans for a great cause. We're not fans for worldliness and foolishness. <clears throat> so the Father sought out to be worshipped today in Johnson City. I hope we've answered that. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you today. Lord, it's so nice to be able to look out and see the sunshine. We know that our earth, the way that it's so designed after the fall that it must have clouds and it must have the barometric pressure to be able to rise and fall. And we know that the vapor must rise from the sea and the lakes and the land and bring rainfall upon it. But there's just something about it when we see the sunshine. It just makes us smile, makes us feel better. How much more does the sunshine of God shining upon our hearts? Father, we ask today as we come into your presence, it's already been so good to be here, but we ask that you would help us as we endeavor to unveil your personality, unveil your desires, your wishes for us as mortals, also your desires, that we would be able to see who you are 
I ask you, Father, that you would help me to get out of the way. Help the people to be able to hear. Help us to be able to receive, Lord, at your mighty hand. We commit the service to you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We closed last night on the two attributes that John focused on in 1 John chapter 2 of identifying the ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus leaving the earth. Even though the Son of Man part was finished in the earthly journey, it moves from there into the dispensation of the Son of God or the Holy Ghost. And John gives us two great titles that is very important to us as believers. We looked a little bit at the one last night of, of the advocate and the perpetuation which the Lamb of God must be for our sins. Certainly God knew that we would need such a position or he would have never, ever given it to us. I know the mystery of the new birth is so profound and yet it's so simple. It's something that so many people think they have. It's something that, no telling how many books have been written about it, how many songs, how many poems, how much drama, whatever more, has been put together to try to exclamate, to declare what really the new birth is all about. And yet we know it's something that's, in one sense of the word, very elusive. It's not something you can buy. It's not something that you can get merely because you think, well, I'd sort of like to have it, maybe. I kind of... Maybe I, maybe I would. No, it doesn't come that way at all. It's actually, in a sense, paralleled by the natural birth. No matter how much I would have been wanted to have been born, if I could have had a choice, and I would have wanted to have been born a Bab, or a Whitson, or an Orndorff, or a Smith, or a Brown, or whatever your name is, I had no choice of that. Nor did you, right? They said, oh, I'd been better off if I'd have been born in this family or that family, but we have no choice of that. And when we look at the new birth, we realize that it is magnified by that even in a greater stance that God himself is the only one that can birth his own children. We don't get a new birth simply because, well, I decide today I want to be born again. It don't come that way. It comes by being genetically attached to God's DNA, spiritually speaking. And then we know that he's the only one that can do that. Can we be saved? Of course. Can we be even be set free from things of sin in the world? Absolutely. But when we're talking about being born again, then we're looking at the very family of God, which is not in the book of life, but in the, in the Lamb's book of life. In there, there's different types of blessings that God gives. And remember, the inheritance is his to divide in the way he wishes to do so. So we know that the Lord Jesus inherited all of these things pertaining to eternal life and salvation and many of these things. He was rewarded with all of that. Then he designates and gives it to those whom he will at his own will. Now, none of us are worthy or deserving of any of it as far as humanly. So if he gives us a teaspoonful, we ought to be grateful. If he gives us a, a cup full, we ought to be grateful. If he gives us a bowl full or a table full, we ought to be grateful. But don't get in your mind, what well, if this person here can be born again, I deserve the same thing. You deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. He gives to us according to the measure of his own grace. 
and that which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So the advocacy that we want to look at this morning is not something that is actually given to everybody who claims to be a Christian. Uh, Christianity is a wonderful thing. We thank God for it. We thank God for those whoever wants to come to the water of life and drink. We're grateful. There will be many, many of those that will be there that day and be saved. I'm grateful for that myself. Because it's, it's not the Father's desire, it's not His will that any should perish. So He offers outside of the Lamb's book of life to those who will receive it from the book of life. They want to be saved? Come on in. He wants you to be saved. He don't want you to be lost. He does not want you to perish. But it does not mean that you'll be a family member now. That's given only to family members. And advocacy as what John is going to speak about a little bit this morning. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate or a parakletos with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the word there, parakletos, is comforter, summoned, called to one's aid, especially called to one's aid. One who pleads another's cause before a judge judge, counsel, or defense, a legal assistant, an advocate, or an intercessor. Now, God, of course, knew that whenever he was the one who set in cycle the motion of the new birth, that his children would not be born again in their flesh yet. It would be the soul birth, and it would be them being changed to the image of the supernatural God working its way out. Eventually, they would get a new body. But he knew that they must have a way by which their fellowship can be consistent and constantly maintained. There must be an advocate that will go between them and that just judge which requires justice every time that we would step over his boundary. How in the world is it ever going to be worked out when we're not totally changed and put back in the right kind of body the way Adam was in the beginning? Now, if that would have been done when we got the new birth, we would not need a mediator, we would not need an advocate, we would not need perpetuation, because we would have totally been restored back to the very original. And we know that God did not plan it to be that way. It was going to be progressive. As the revelation progressed of the deity of Christ, so the revelation of, let me say it this way, the deity of the bride also is progressing, because she is part of his attributes, not from the timeline, but from the deity side of his mind and of his thinking. But yet he knew that part of her would be changed to the deity side of the eternal side and part of her remain to the timeline or the human side. Most of them their entire life. There will be just a very few chosen ones that will be allowed to enter into the realm of eternity while they are yet time beings only for a moment before they are called up. All the rest will go by the way of the grave. So there must be worked into this redemptive plan a means by which those which are born again in the soul still left in this human prison house, this human body, that they will be able to have 
have consistent fellowship with the Father. And they will be able to be saved one time only, which is all they need to be saved. But yet they will, the way will need to be made to where even though they're saved, they will need to be renewed. And their fellowship constantly renewed. And then being washed over and over and over again. Remember Jesus washing Peter's feet. And Peter said, you're not going to wash five of my feet. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So Jesus was signifying also the cycle of the new birth. And I said, he that is washed needeth not save to be washed except for his feet. Now Jesus is signifying those that are born again, which are truly regenerated from the soul, being washed away and loosed. A lutron is the word washed or loosed from the power of sin. They don't need to be saved every time they fall. They don't need to be saved every time they made a mistake. But what they need to be do is have their feet washed over again. Now your feet, of course, signifies your hands, signifying your doings, and your feet signifying your walk by the progression of what you do and where you go. So here the Lord Jesus must make a way by which for 2,000 years, seven church ages will be able to have a way that God can have fellowship with the people which have not yet been completely redeemed. Now we're in the cycle of redemption, but we know that it will not be complete until our body is fully redeemed. Is that right? You could be saved here today and have a cancer in your body. You could be sitting here today in your right mind and walk out of here and be hit by a car or something like that. And by tomorrow you might be laying there a vegetable. You may never speak again. You may never write again. Does that have anything to do with your soul? Not one thing. A person could lose their mind. They could go totally insane and still be filled with the Holy Ghost and have absolutely nothing to do with their soul in God. Because it's a separate realm. That's why those things can happen is because the body is not yet redeemed and because the body isn't redeemed then the body being neutral the body can be influenced by evil or by good now as I said it to you last night the body living in that realm of neutrality it's not that the body absolutely must do evil only you prove that totally wrong when you clap your hands and you worship God a while ago why because your body was neutral and the soul took charge of the body and your your impulses from your brain sent the signal down the senses through your body and you started clapping your hands like that. Well, if the body could only do evil, then your your soul would send the response and it would come up and you'd stand right there. I ain't doing it. I ain't clapping my hands. I don't want to. But you know what? Your body was neutral. But that same body being in that state of neutrality can also pick up a smartphone and type in a website that you should never visit and because your body is in a neutral state then the body can go over there and the eyes can start looking well come on now or your ears can start listening to music that you should never listen to or your eyes watching movies or whatever more that they should never listen to or see rather because your body is neutral the very same body could pick up a bible because of an impulse from the soul and be able to read that bible we have to have our eyes do we not we have to have our hands to pick it up we have to have our ears to be able to hear but because the body is left neutral is the downside of how sin can be able to affect us the same way with the disease oppression depression sadness and so on and so on so the Lord must not only save us but he must save us to the uttermost now in that word uttermost it's going to cover the span of time from the time that we're truly born again until 
we are fully redeemed. If it was only good to the time of salvation, what about after we get saved and then we need forgiveness and we need uh, reconciliation, we need perpetuation, and we need an advocate. So God made a way that the plan of salvation would cover us from day one, from the very first day that we meet the Lord Jesus. And maybe some of you met him in a Baptist church, Pentecostal church, and it was genuinely him. And you certainly don't, didn't have then what you've got now. But it was him that started dealing with you. And it was him that was genuinely moving on your heart. Is that right? Many of you know that you had a true experience in Baptist, Pentecost, right? And something dealt with you. And yet it was the Spirit of the Lord that started your day one or it was the time that God started dealing with you from the realm of the supernatural into the realm of the natural. And it might take him years to get you from the very start of where it came right there till you'd ever move into the consummation of the new birth. You might think you had it when you jerked and shouted and jumped and quivered and all that. But you'd realize after the desire of sin still being left in your soul no I'm not born again there's no way I could be because I still want to do this and that and the other and then you'd go through that cycle to where God would finally wash your mind uh, because remember those two wombs that the prophet preached and spoke in words original seed and that was the womb of the mind and the womb of the soul and the word before it can be actually conceived in the soul pure and right the mind must be washed our thoughts must be changed and transformed and then we receive that word into our mind and it actually becomes conception inside of our soul. So by the new birth, whenever we actually enter into that, now we come to another phase of the work of reconciliation and redemption. That once the person is saved, and if they're truly saved, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they never have to have it again. They never have to go up and say, Brother Donnie, I need to get saved again, 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 again. No. If they ever got it right once, that'll carry them right on through. But will they need forgiveness? They will, absolutely, every day of our lives. Will they need the the ability to go before God and ask and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. I'm so sorry. Well, how does that work in with salvation? Well, it's a different aspect of the Savior's attributes. Now, he wants to save you from sin. That is ongoing unto the very end. But once you're truly born, again, you are saved from that snake nature which was inside of you and that is dead. Once it's dead, that snake will never get back in. Thank God for that. But because the flesh is neutral, that old snake still wants to wrap itself around your arms or it wants to wrap itself around your mind or it wants to come against your spirit and so on and so on and try to affect you. Now watch. John says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, now remember he's writing to save save people, saints of God, we have an advocate advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So now this is the family lawyer, which also was the family judge, which was also the family perpetuation, which also has become the family savior, which is the family father which became his own family son, which is actually our mediator, but also our older brother. Amen. Well, I hope that didn't choke you too bad. 
Now, so advocacy like this is actually a family of God blessing, which only comes to the family itself. Now, if every individual today that claims to be a Christian, if every time they make a mistake, and they, you know, even the sins were the sins of omission or sins of ignorance that they're not even aware of, that the blood of the Lord Jesus would atone for them, then let me just tell you this morning, absolutely every so-called Christian will be in the rapture on that rapture morning. If they are under the blood by a profession of saying, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and they receive the full atoning power of that blood, and they receive the full benefit of the advocacy of the family, there will be not one professed Christian left on this earth at the end of the rapture day. There will be no Christians in the tribulation period. Boy, you all are quiet. But that's not the truth of it. They reject the blood by rejecting the word. Now, what they do is separate Jesus, or Christ as most of them will call him. They will separate Christ from the word. And they will separate the blood from the word so they can have or tap into or have access to the blood. But yet they really don't want the word. Because really the word is what causes the problems. You know, you preach about predestination. Well, that causes problems. You preach Malachi 4, it causes problems. Think about it. If preaching the blood of the Lord Jesus is already causing any issues. Preaching forgiveness for everybody, you know, does that really cause any issues? No, it does not cause any issues because that's what everybody wants. Preaching that God understands you can't live right, does that cause any issues? Well, it would with you all because you don't believe that. But for the majority of Christendom today, that's exactly where they are. So, you know, for, for to be able to look at the Word and separate Christ from His Word. Now, the man Jesus that died on the cross, that's the man that most of Christendom knows today. They don't, that's the very one that they're very familiar with, but they're not familiar with that very same Jesus that His humanity was transformed and carried up into the paradise of God, the body stepped on the throne of God, but Him in the form of that great invisible comes back on the day of Pentecost in the form of the Holy Ghost which is the Son of God that is the Holy Ghost I have him today I know many of you do as well but you see the Holy Ghost now is going to continue ongoing the ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus through the aspect of mediator and peace giver so he is our advocate he becomes our surety of our good behavior now think of this he becomes the surety or the promise to Father God of our good behavior. Now what what lawyer, what judge, what bondsman, what person that would go bail for someone that would stand up and say, well, this guy robbed a bank and this guy stole a car and this guy was caught with drugs and this girl done this and that one. But as a bondsman, I stand here and I will give $25,000 for their bond and I will give 15 for this one and 30 for that one and I will guarantee, absolutely guarantee it on my life that he will never steal another car he will never steal another horse she'll never smoke another cigarette 
That man's a complete imbecile. He may not even give his bond money back, much less his own life. But do you understand what Jesus did for every member of the family? He said, I am so confident in what I have done for them. Every one of them that is truly born again. I guarantee you on my life, they will never, ever be a sinner again. Now, he's not only a surety that we will not be a sinner, but he actually becomes a surety for our good behavior. Wow, I'm an E stretching his neck out. He says that he will be our advocate and he's never lost a case. He says, I am so confident in what I've done. Now remember, this cannot cover everybody that says they are a Christian or Jesus will be killed again. You understand? If Jesus did this for every Christian, many Christians today, so-called, will get drunk after the Super Bowl. Many Christians are drug addicts. Many Christians, so-called Christian. Why, the Christian world has the same problems as the world out here. There ain't nothing different in them, except they just profess Jesus as their Savior. They smoke the same kind of cigarettes, take the same kind of dope, drink the same kind of alcohol, shoot the same kind of drugs, except they're Christian drug addicts. What? So the Lord Jesus is not going to go their surety and stand for their good behavior or be their bondsman. But for his family he will. Now he says to the justice of God, I am so confident in the work that I have done in them, I will stand for their soul forever. I will stand for their full redemption. And I will witness to you today, Father, even for their behavior. They are changed. Now when he makes that confession about you, you better believe the devil's going to come and do everything he can to try to disprove it. But let him and all hell try to disprove it. He'll never do it. Because you see, even if you mess up, you'll repent and make it right. You're still in harmony because you're washed by the water of the word of God. Now, whenever we look then that John, he goes from the part of the advocate. Let me read here in in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. So here he himself becomes the surety. So he's the surety or the guarantee. The guarantee. He is also the lawyer or the advocate. Notice that John goes on to say, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is, of course, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, he is one who is eminently righteous himself, and he also has the ability to make others righteous as he will. 
which means you have right standing with God. Now, we do not come on our own merits. We don't, do we? Notice now John jumps from verse 1 about the advocacy of the Christ, the ministry of Christ, and he comes to verse 2, and he says, He is the perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now here, to perpetuate, actually it does not mean that it basically appeases an angry God, but it means that God's law and God's justice has been satisfied. So God has this law that he sets forth that man must die, and then how is God ever going to be able to let that go? God cannot just let go and say, well, I, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. That's okay. I made a mistake. God don't make mistakes. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I, I'll just kind of turn, you know, turn my eye to it like this, and I'll act like y'all didn't do it. But, you know, no, that's not the way he does it either. But he creates an advocacy of the family of God. Now, in this, the perpetuation will be shared by both elect and non-elect because he's a perpetuation for our sins, but not for Arizona, but for the sins of the whole world. But whenever we move into the family aspect of what it brings, it brings a release from the entirety of sin nature. Oh, children, you, 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 don't, you don't know what that means. Oh, my he offers forgiveness to the world. He offers even a, a, a demolishing of their past sins. But for those who come only that far, that's as far as they will be able to receive of his benefit. But for those who are baptized into the family body under the name of the living God and they become partakers of that family name and family nature, he offers to them an advocacy that if you ever get in trouble, all you got to do is call on the family lawyer. So if you're sick, if you're weary, if you're down, if you're depressed, if you make a mistake, whatever you need, and you need an advocate, you have one. It's already bought, paid for, you've got a direct line 24-7. Amen. So as our high priest, he is able to sympathize as our advocate. As our perpetuator, he's able to stand in between our shortcoming because remember the word sin means to miss the mark. And as I said last night, sinners do not sin. They are sinners by nature. But Christians are the one who sins. What does sin mean? Miss the mark. So Christians miss the mark. They repent when they fall short of the mark and the grace of God brings them right back up to the mark again. Notice in, in, in Philippians chapter 2 here in verse 6. Now how did we get this fellowship? How were we so blessed to be able to inherit such a thing from our heavenly father? Well here is the key. It is the kenosis of Christ himself that emptied himself of everything that he was in order to endow us with such a great privilege today. We should never take it for granted. I know we do. But we should never do it. Shame on us when we do.
Notice here Paul speaks about him and he says, who being in the form, and the word form as you know is a morphine of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now the Greek word for reputation is kinu, which actually the verb comes out of there of kenosis. You can find this in Wikipedia, Miriam. You can find it in several different places. So the kenosis of Christ was actually Christ in himself of heavenly rank listen to the meaning of this I thought it was very very good the essential idea is that of bringing to emptiness vanity or nothingness and hence it is applied to a case where one lays aside his rank and dignity and becomes in respect to that as nothing that is he assumes a more humble rank and station so he emptied himself of being divine in the way that he was divine there not divine here so he empties himself of rank he empties himself of owning everything he empties himself of being omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, almighty God. He empties himself of that. And remember now it's by choice that he does this. And this is where that this word comes from. So when he come here, he, he was so low. He did not have a place to lay his head. He did not have his own home. He had to borrow boats to preach in. He had to borrow, oh my, an upper room to have fellowship with his disciples. He had to borrow a donkey to ride in to Jerusalem. He had to borrow a tomb to be buried in. And when he got ready to die, he had absolutely nothing. Can you imagine not one shekel to his name? He had not one thing to leave to make sure that his mother was provided for. On the cross, you think, we tend to be so spiritual sometimes and we tend to lead out the natural things, the domestic part of being a husband, the domestic part of being a wife, the domestic part of being good parents. But I want you to notice the Lord Jesus on the cross that the supernatural and the natural in his view was such and in such harmony and so important that he looked at John and he said behold thy mother and he looks at Mary and said behold thy son now the Catholics of course take that and try to say that Mary was to be his mother that was not what Jesus was saying at all Jesus had no house to give to her he had no money to give to her he had no inheritance Joseph by this time was already dead and gone and the Lord Jesus had nothing to give to her and she was the one who gave birth to him so he was so concerned so no matter how spiritual you think you are and you're too spiritual to take care of your wife you're too spiritual you're too spiritual to take care of your children you're too spiritual here's the Lord Jesus you know right right within the last half hour or so of his life and he's concerned about Mary in a domestic way why he's concerned about you spiritually but he's concerned about her in a domestic way how is she going to be taken care of apparently John had the means and the desire and the mannerism to be able to do that and John takes her to his house from that day forward because the Lord Jesus was so poor 
poor. He had nothing to give to her. Now, we know when we speak about wealth, I'm not talking today just necessarily about what Jesus had as silver and gold and all that sort of thing. But whenever we look at what he had, remember, heaven has no money. Thank God. Think of it. No money in heaven. That eliminates a lot of problems. Is that right? Notice in Matthew 8, 19, a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, notice this as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For ye know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at a different view of grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes. He became poor. Now it wasn't that Jesus in his humanity was rich. And became poor because he was born in a poor family. But he was God rich. It was God wealth. So he had God wealth. But he chose to lay aside that God wealth and become poor. What kind of poverty then would it be? Oh Lord Jesus. It would be the poverty that we experience Every day of our Christian walk. That's all right if you listen and don't say amen. But I want you to think. Being a man filled with the Holy Ghost. Is a great thing. On this side of the timeline. But on the side of the eternal. You are a poor man. Jesus became poor. And yet he had the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But how was he a poor man? Because he forfeited. Now we think in ourselves, Brother Jim Whitson, I was talking about service last night. And we think whenever we come to church and the presence of God is there with us or we're alone praying with the Lord and we're in his presence and all. You know how it is. You hate to leave that. Whenever the presence of the Lord is among us in a service and we're singing and worshiping, hearing the word. And we, we just don't care if we go home or not because it's so wonderful. And yet that presence is so small compared to what it must have been for the Lord to leave what it was in his position. So whenever he left the praises of angels and lay aside his robe as we looked at it last night, he left all of heaven's riches, which is not gold and silver and money and all of that. It is honor. It is integrity. It is all the great things that deity is. And he left all of that and come to the earth as a man and received not only just a baptism of the Holy Ghost like we would have, but the fullness of the Godhead bodily living inside of him but in comparison to what he was there he was a poor man can you imagine what it's going to be when you finally get your riches praise God 
So he, Paul says, became poor. So in this, in this kenosis, he empties himself out of all the full attributes. Now remember, he was never a sinner, never done anything wrong, nothing at all like that. He was always pure, always holy, always sanctified in the presence of God. Amen? There was nothing sinful about him at all. But yet he took upon himself human weakness. He became weak in two phases in the aspect of not... Oh, but ain't gonna go over your head. He, he come to a spot to where he allowed himself to be ignorant of such things that he knew before he come here. He was all-knowing. He was omnipotent. But he so kenosis himself that he said, even the son don't know when he's coming. Is that your Bible? You think it's something that you give up? Huh? Oh, it ain't fair. I got to quit smoking. What's unfair about that? Oh, it ain't fair. I got to give up makeup. I got to quit this. What is unfair about that? You don't talk about unfair. Let's talk about him. So he, in that state of great exaltation, he, he chooses, he chooses to empty himself out of that all-knowing. So when he comes to the earth, he will have this memory that he pre-existed. Now to you and I, we don't have that. We don't deal with that every day. Oh, I remember back in the mind of God. I remember back in the eternity. Oh, I remember such peace. I remember this. We don't remember any of that. But he come to this earth knowing it existed before. So you think of it, of looking at his mind would flash back praises, adoration, great Adonai, Great Elohim. And then flash to present tense. You hypocrite. You Beelzebub. You liar. So from the riches of that, he become a pauper in God wealth. <laughs> his humiliation, an aspect of his human nature contrasted the divine nature to such an extreme the possessor of heavens and earth coming to this world and didn't even have his own house I found this word which I felt like was able to convey it maybe a little bit more real he was rich in the ineffable glory of divine attributes and these he renounced. Look at the word ineffable, indescribable, unspeakable, indefinable, inexpressible, incapable of being expressed in words. So it shows how little we've given up because we can describe it. It shows how little we've done for God because we can talk about it. 
It shows how little we are in humanity because we can talk about ourselves. There ain't but one being like this. Hallelujah. And most get what he chose to give up in order to bring us to the family of God. That we could sit here today. Oh, he don't want us to do wrong. He don't want us to fall short of his glory. He don't want us to miss the glory, but he knew that we would. But in order to have a way of reconciliation, he must lay aside indescribable, inexhaustible, unexplainable, indefinable. He must lay aside all of that. To come and live in a body that would get sick and feel pain and anxiety and had limited understanding. You see, the incarnation robbed him of his wealth and defined him as a mere mortal. Until the Father comes down at the river. Glory to God. Paul says, For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes, He became poor. Now, not just money. Jesus was born in a poor family, so it wasn't like he was rich and then he became poor. He did not become poor in Joseph's family. He was born poor. But he was rich in heaven. Rich in all the God wealth that was in eternity. And he chose to lay aside that wealth and come down here as a mortal and receive the Holy Ghost. You know that word puts you and I today. We're poor people. No wonder David said, who will God come and save this poor man? David wasn't talking about his crown or his riches. He was a wealthy man. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you've got the greatest portion of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, no matter who you are sitting here today, and you're the closest to God in all of us. You talk to God, you walk to God, and you're closer than anybody in Happy Valley. You're still a beggar. You're a poor man or a poor woman compared to what you will be. After a while, when you enter into your riches of your true position. We have poor people in our church, we have poor people in America. But compare the poor people of America to the poor people in India that I've seen. Or the poor people in Africa. Brother Terry's been there and seen them. Some of the rest of you have been there. You think, really? It's not even the same word. It's not even on the same scale. You can imagine being the Almighty and being everything that He was. And He lays aside all those riches and choose to become a poor man. A man with the Holy Ghost. Don't you understand what you long for? Don't you understand what you feel pulling you? It's the rest of your wealth. 
It's the rest of your inheritance. This is why we love his presence so much because that's home calling. When we're in his presence, that's who we are. That's the course that we're destined to walk on. That's our journey, friends. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty, ye through his poverty. Now it wasn't just that he didn't have but one robe and it wasn't just that he didn't have a place to live. That's not the poverty Paul is addressing. Oh, we can look at it two-sided. But to be poor, you're a poor family, you get poorer. So, you imagine if you're a Fifth Avenue guy, you hang out at Saks, you live on Fifth Avenue, you eat all the fine places in New York, you lose your CEO position, then you become a poor man, you can really understand a crash. Right? But a poor man loses another dollar an hour off of his wage. He's already struggling. He's already poor. He can barely make it the way that it is. Is it going to be the same to him? No. There's hardly no way. It's ineffable. It's inconceivable for our minds to even span the gap of what it was for him to give up what he did. And his sole purpose was you, my brother. My brother, my sister. I say if you turn it down, you deserve to go to hell. Amen. Amen. For him to pay such a price and you turn it down, there'll be no mercy for you. Amen. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. So by leaving the Father's glory, he becomes impoverished to come down into a baby's body. He leaves the existence of omnipotence. He leaves the existence of all-knowing, omnipresence. And this attribute leaves the very theophany of God and comes down and gets inside this baby body. And they pick him up and, and he... Wah! And he goes for months and months before he can even say a word. <laughs> the very one who spoke and said, let there be praise be to God I hope you understand that he he ceased to be in that position of reverence of the Godhead To condescend and become a mortal. 
mind and time with limited understanding. And Mary teaching him in, in, in Aramaic, Jesus, one plus one is how much? I don't know. And Jesus, you can do it. Concentrate. One plus one. I don't know, Mama. He who knew everything. So he became poor that ye through his poverty might be made rich. He paid all my debts. Change my nature. Close me in a robe of righteousness. I'm forever his. I have the promise of his personal parousia, his personal presence. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am rich. Now, in the sense of compared to the world, listen now, in compared to the world, you are rich. In comparison to your future, you're still poor. So you're a poor rich man. <laughs> well, glory be to God. In compared to the world, I have all, all kinds of riches. In comparison to what I'm going to after a while, I'm still a poor man, but I'm on my way out. Why? Because my ticket is in my hand. I've got the token. Amen. He in his poverty made a way for me to be rich. He clothes us. He sanctifies us. He washes us and makes us kings and priests. I'm a rich man. He forfeited that glory that he had with the Father before the world was. Notice St. John 14, 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away. And I come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice. Because I said I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. This is part of the forfeiture. The human body is now in a lesser degree of rank and glory. And the humanity could say about the spirit, the spirit is greater than me. We have a hard word saying anybody's greater than us, don't we? We have a hard time. That shows you need the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians eleven three. but I would you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. He forfeited. He forfeited to become poor. John 17, 5, and now, O Father, glorify thou me 
with thine own self one of the very few things that the Lord Jesus ever asked for. He didn't ask for this at the beginning of the journey. He didn't ask for this in the middle of the journey. But now he's at the end of the journey. St. John 17 on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh now Father glorify thou me with thine own self. With the glory that I had with thee before the world was. Let the glory which was my divine nature. Let it come upon my human nature and glorify me and merge me together. Lord God, children, this ought to be our prayer. This is the very consummation of the rapture when our divine nature and our human nature will merge together in a body change. Father, glorify me with your own self. Give me my new body. the divinity Jesus the man cannot say this Jesus the man the humanity was not before the foundation of the world it was the real Jesus the real Donnie Reagan can't say I and my father are one or the flesh one the real one can, but the flesh one can't. Now the real one's got to take my mouth and make my mouth say it. And try to convince my heart that I believe it. Right? Now watch him, he says, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. This is the invisible, immortal, only wise God. That which permeates from around the throne. Not an old man. But Jesus came out of that. When God gave birth to a son. <sighs> Glorify thou me with thine own self. With the glory that I had with thee. Before the world was. May it be communicated to my human nature. May my divine and my human Hebrews 1, 2 hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Whom he's appointed heir of all things. Now that was in the sonship of being mediator. By whom also he made the worlds. That was him in Logos form. (laughs) Glory to God. Don't you see? He forfeited his ownership of being heir to the worlds. But spirit God gave it back to him. After his journey was complete. <laughs> What's he asking for in St. John 17, 5? He's asking for that which he forfeited. 
He's asking for that which he laid aside. His robe, his diadem of deity's attributes. Father, I want it back. I'm fixing to go to Calvary. I'm fixing to be raised from the dead. My journey is almost over. I want it back. Oh, glory to God. May I say today, I want my eternal life back. I want my eternal body back. I want my inheritance back. I want it back. Let the Shekinah, which was on my divine nature, let it come on my human nature. Let them merge together. Notice this. He's praying this right before crucifixion. He's praying this before being beat, whipped. The scripture said, who for the joy that was set before him despised the cross, bore the cross, despising the shame. What's he doing? Showing us how to face horrific times in our lives. Place positive things before you. Prophet said, if you're sick, place an image of you well before you. And keep on walking until you step in glory to God. Amen. Until you step into that image. And he said, you keep confessing the word and God will make your body obey that word. Why? Because the word in you is more powerful than your body. The word in you is more powerful than cancer. It's more powerful than sickness and disease. Hallelujah. Keep speaking that word until you and that image become one, a well person. Let me close with this verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person. Here's His riches. He was the brightness of the glory of Papa. He was the express image of his person, the first visible form that the invisible had, upholding all things by the word of his power. The rhema of his dunamis. This is his riches. Notice, then we come over to the conquering side when it's restored. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Glory forfeited, glory restored. a rich man became a poor man but now he becomes a rich
rich man and he leaves out of that trial with what? A wife. to God Jacob sojourns into a land looking for a bride he goes down there a poor man the frost hits him trials his boss winds up taking nearly everything he owned but he left out of there with brides <laughs> hallelujah a rich man let the world laugh let them ridicule let them make fun of our Lord Jesus let them do whatever they wish and us as well but one day he will stand there in the circle of eternity it was and said children are you ready to come home and we'll say yes papa we're ready Praise God. Some of you standing right here this morning no doubt will be alive and the glory which you had was Him before the foundation of the world will come unto your mortality. Maybe Sister Vicki, you're standing in your house and you're combing your hair and all of a sudden a young brother Warren steps in the room. Praise God. Your young bride will step there in the room and say, Tom, are you ready to go? Say, yes, sweetheart, I've been waiting for you to call. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Father, glorify us with the glory we had with you before the world began. Do you understand how blessed you are to hunger for something eternal that you've never even seen? To long for something so phenomenal that the natural mind can even comprehend, but you believe it with all of your heart and your soul. Hebrews 2 9, let me read this while you're standing. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, you imagine the almighty God, the creator of grace in his own humanity, needed grace. That he, by the grace, of God should taste death for every man for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things 
in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. It's one reason why you need to attend. Because Jesus said in the midst of the church, well, I sing praise unto thee. Jesus goes to church. It was his custom then, it's his custom now. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And I say to you, old boy, good riddance. (laughs) And deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. But it took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. You mean to tell me they were his brethren before the cross? They were his brethren before he ever even come down here? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's the reason he came was his brothers. Glory to God. That's the reason he came was his brothers. Oh, Jesus, I want to go home. I'm longing for it, Lord. And like you, I don't remember ever being there. But I felt enough enough of it to know it is there. And I believe what you've said about it, Lord. I pray, help us. Thank you for making a way, Lord. In this arduous, difficult journey, you knew we would need a lawyer, a perpetuation, a comforter. You knew every day wouldn't be sunshine. You knew every day we wouldn't be as what we felt here in this presence today. This supernatural, almighty God. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for becoming poor that I could become a rich man. Thank you for the kenosis of yourself, of emptying yourself, of all-knowing. You even subjected yourself to humanity in such a place that Luke 2.52 tells us you went home with Mary and Joseph after your dedication there 
And you grew in wisdom and stature before both God and man. That was your poverty. You who knew everything. You who created everything by your word. You became poor in understanding. Poor in knowledge. Poor in order to redeem us. I thank you today, Lord. I thank you. To me, this does not take away from you. It makes you greater than I ever comprehended that you were. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. I can see this, Father. I thank you so much. Would you minister to every heart today, Lord? If there's anyone here that's lost, that's never met you, help them, Lord. If there's any that needs renewing, refreshing, any that needs the Holy Ghost, sick, weary. Father, we had many prayer requests last night. We want you to remember them. Our sister, Jill Fleeman, standing here today, Lord. She's been through many hard battles and trials. Lord, we thank you. She's able to be with us here today. We thank you, Father, that your mercy has been to her and her husband, the family, strengthened them, helped them, Lord. We're just asking you for a complete healing for our sister, Lord. Praise be to God. We believe and declare that you are the Jehovah of miracles. Hallelujah. Oh God, we love you with all of our hearts. My heart today, Father, still heavy thinking about Brother Ron Spencer, Lord, and his needs right now, his family, his church family. God, we ask you to move for our brother. You see what the doctors have diagnosed him as having cancer in his body. Not yet determined what kind it is, but in reality that doesn't really matter. You're a cancer killer. It don't make no difference where it's at. Whatever name that doctors give it, that don't matter. We pray for our brother today in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Spirit of God minister healing, Lord. Oh, praise God. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Don't you love him, children, with all your heart? Now think of it. He has entered back into his, the richness of his kingdom with adoration of angels and all the glory around him. We get a little preview of it on Mount Transfiguration whenever the Bible tells us that his garments glistened and shone white and he was transfigured before them. That was just a little dip of what he left and a little thing of what he's fixing to go into. But Father gave him just a touch of it right there to remind him of where he's going. Praise God. Now he's entered back into that. But isn't it amazing that even though back in there, he doesn't exclude bride praise of those that are still as poor as they can be. He doesn't say, well, from now on out, I only receive angelic praise because I'm back in my riches. But he still wants your love, your adoration, your praise, your life. You. You. He wants you. Can we just praise Him and love Him just a little bit before we go? We're still early. All the church crowd's still at the restaurant, so we'll hang around here a little bit. Just worship Him. You'll get in faster anyway. Oh, He's worthy. What you got on your heart? Praise God. Praise God. Sweet Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. 
come take me away oh lord god i really want to see you lord jesus come to
place I really don't belong here now I want to see your face Come sweet Jesus Come take me away I really want to see from this place I really don't belong here now I want to see your face come sweet Jesus come take me away I really want to see
to slip beyond the veil they'll just be parted for a little while where everything's looking it don't look like it's going to be long but the gates will be opening to the other side praise God we want to be ready Lord 
Go with us now, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord. See you Wednesday night. We're almost home. Brother, it won't be long. Soon all our burdens will be has brought heaven to us but make no mistake there's still more to come when our flesh and our bone are no longer between who we are right now and where we're meant to be when all that's been lost is made whole again these tears and this pain no longer exist no more walking we're running as fast as we can consider this our second win we're almost on
has brought heaven to us. Make no mistake, there's still more to come when our flesh and our bones are no longer between where we are right now and where we're meant to be. When all has been lost is made whole again. These tears and this pain no longer exist. No more walking, we're running as fast as we can. Consider this our second wind. Until then, we'll keep pressing on, pressing on. I gotta keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. And when Satan tries to stop you. There's no need for you to go on, no need to try. Even if there was a rapture, you know you'll never make it in. Why don't you just say, Satan, watch me prove you alive again. I gotta keep pressing on, on and on and on, pressing.
Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. Don't be ashamed to say that you know Him. Count the call. Take up your cross. 